Welcome to Red Inca. I'm Jared Kimber. This episode of Red Inca, we look at the West India batter Tejnoran Chandrapal. For that, we get on an expert from West Indies cricket. My name is Mashal St. Patrick Hewitt, and I'm one half of the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. We talk about blockers, why it took so long to get him into the team, his double ton, values against India, what his ceiling is, and how he will handle the next few tough series, and all three generations of the Chandrapal family. When did the podcast start? 20, late, late 2019. That means that six years before that, Tejnarayan Chandra Paul made his debut in first class cricket. He had indeed. He had indeed. And that, <laughs> I think if you go <laughs> if, if you go and listen to some of our earliest stuff on the podcast or certainly some of our earliest tweets uh, when we created the Twitter handle, um, you'll probably see that we were we were all the way back then talking about and extolling the virtues of a young Tejnarayan Chandra Paul. But my point is that we've only just seen him as an international player. And it seems to me that, I mean, you know, he's got, he's got the old man. He had name recognition. I, I remember first hearing about him. He might have been even 15 or 14 and people were already, and the only other young batter, maybe Puran, although Puran was a little bit older, but the only other young batter I really remember being talked up at a very young age in the West Indies was Brathwaite, right? Mm-hmm. You know, when he came through, because he made all those runs without ever playing, you know, anything other than nudge off his hip, from what I could tell. Um he, he's the only young player I've ever researched, by the way, that even when you look at him young, he was boring, which is absolutely fucking fantastic. I love every part of it. Even Dom Sidley once played a cover drive, right? But, but Tadrion was, was talked up. He makes a debut, plays with his old man. You know, his old man was barely out of the test team at that point, right? It feels really weird to me that it takes so long for anything else to happen from that point on. And then it would take him nine years to make his test debut, considering that you know, kind of everyone's open to batting or batted in the top four of West Indies cricket, you know, that owns a bat over there in that time. That Does that not strike you as weird looking back on it? Or because you were following it more close, did it make sense? I mean, realistically, realistically, if we're going to study West Indies cricket properly, I mean, I'm certainly in the camp of people, I don't think it's a very big camp, but in the camp of people that believe that Tejrai Shanapal should have been in the position he's in now at least three years ago. However, on the flip side, I, I understand why people, a lot of people, didn't see what we now see, right? And that's because a young Tejnarayan Shandapal essentially was very similar to the very earliest iteration of Craig Brathwaite at the international level. When Craig Brathwaite debuted for the West Indies, one of the big criticisms people had about Craig, that's why Craig's um, nickname is Paint, because we say in the Caribbean that it's like watching paint dry when he bats, although he's got significantly better in, in, in more recent years. But when Craig first debuted all the way back in 2012, he could ba- barely get the ball off the square. He would nudge a nerd or um, it'd take him about, what, seemingly 70 balls to score 10. Now, I know some people listening are already like, no, Mash, that's still going on now. But <laughs> the point is, the point is, back then, that's all he could do. <laughs> Similarly, yeah. if you go back three years, four years for Tejan Ryan Shandapal, that's all he could do as well. And the, the, the context to this story is about did West Indian selectors and some West Indian fans fail to recognise or understand that that ability to 
stalk up a lot of balls, not really have a, an expansive array of shots, and take a very long time to get into double figures, much less score anything substantial. Was that something that was needed, given the state of West Indies cricket, and something that you kind of harness, nurture, and develop because you're like, at least he's got that. At least there's a price on his wicket. Or were they right to say nobody can play international cricket who does not have an ability to get a move on? So I put I put that to, back to you, Jared, in the context of dispassionately looking at it. And we have to remember that this is in the West Indian context. What is what is more beneficial? Somebody with a limited shot range but can put a price on their wicket or somebody who can, who's got a, uh, an array of shots but doesn't score many runs. So where, where do you put yourself in that, in, that, in that conundrum? I think you have to be able to get off strike mm. in international cricket, right? Because if you're playing in first-class cricket, you might run into two test bowlers, but maybe let's say one's a French bowler and one's a, you know, a you know, decent um, test bowler. Uh, first change is going to be probably not a seamer that's not as good. And then you've got a couple of spinners. Maybe one's okay. Maybe one isn't, right? That's going to be fairly normal all the way through. Five bowlers in first-class cricket, we see more than we do in test cricket. And they're not very good. Your ability at test cricket is really that you're facing the best bowlers that you would face in first-class cricket every single time, right? You cannot give Vernon Philander 24 balls at you, right? So Sam Robson, do you remember Sam Robson yes, who played yeah. for England? So he made 100 and I wrote an article that did not go down very well with England fans where I was like, his 100 has actually shown why he won't make runs at test cricket. And it's because he is he doesn't have the ability to get off strike. His defense is good and his patience is good and his footwork is good and everything else, but he can't get off strike. And eventually some very smart bowler is going to work him out. So it doesn't matter to me if they attack and have lots of shots or if they defend and have no shots. What, what always bothers me is if they can get off strike every three balls or, you know, that is a far better skill than hitting a four, but then facing five more balls from the same bowler. Right. That's the, so you basically got, you got James Vince at one end, mm. right. And you've got Dom Sibley at the other end. Right. And both of those have, have flaws. What you really want to be is someone like Brathwaite or BJ Watling with just enough skill to get off strike every now and again, you're not going to get as many boundaries, not going to put as much pressure on, but it means that you're at the other end every, every now and again. And I wonder if a young player like him, and, and I didn't see him enough when he, when he was coming through, I was just following the scorecards, but I wonder if he had the ability to rotate strike or if he's just blocking up one end. If you're just blocking up one end and occasionally hitting a boundary, probably not going to be successful in test cricket. So where do you think he was at that stage? He was, I mean, some of Tej's not certainly around circa 2017, 2018. I always talk about that famous knot versus Barbados where he made 66 not out of 257 balls or, or something to that effect. It was certainly 200 plus balls. And at the time, that was indicative of, of Tasia Ryan Shandapal. The only thing that people couldn't work out was, was it a deliberate choice or was it truly that he just didn't know how to manipulate um, strike enough to, 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 as you say, get off strike. Now, we also have to remember that this, again, is in the context of playing domestic cricket in the West Indies, where few teams score over 300 runs, where Rakeem Cornwall and Vasami Permol dominate every single season, um, taking 
30 plus wickets at like 12 apiece. So in some senses, you had to look at what he was doing and say, well, at least he's not getting out like everybody else seems to get out rather cheaply. And if you go back and look at his averages when he was younger, um, if I just call out some for you, so in the 2017-2018 uh, first class season, he, he averaged 38. Did, wait, did he average 38? Yes. In that, in that, in that. Imagine, imagine saying that to me, not thinking I would already know that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so using that as an example, and but the reason why I bring that stat out in particular is you had a West Indian opener in West Indian conditions where people don't play very well in domestic cricket, mm. averaging 38. However he's getting there, he's averaging 38. And you're still recalling Devon Smith back to international cricket. Those type of things were going on. So, mm. so my argument at the time was we've seen at, at least 27 different iterations of Devon Smith being recalled to, West, to the West Indies international side. At what time do you take a punt on a youngster and say, well, let's see what we can do with him? Now, since then, we've seen what? Uh, John Campbell, we've seen Kieran Powell get umpteen recalls, and yet still Tejas was getting ignored, right? Um, so Tejas, and here's the joke, here's the biggest joke of the whole situation. Tejas Rajshandapur has only now ended up in the West Indies team by actual fluke. And the reason why I say fluke is if John Campbell hadn't failed that drug test, we probably still wouldn't be talking about Tejas Rajshandapur. If, mm. or sorry, not failed drug test, sorry, whereabouts violation, I should clarify that. If Tage was on yeah, the verge, <laughs> yeah, Tage was on the verge of um, last first class season. He it had been announced by the Guyana Guyana um, RP Eagles franchise that Tage was being dropped from the side, and he only played because there was a last minute injury. I forget to who he scored a century in that game, and then went on to have an exceptionally good season. But he was on the verge of getting dropped by his by his home base franchise. So. It's been an amazing set of circumstances that has seen Tage get into international colours belatedly and later, later, sorry, belatedly and almost in circumstances where he was on the way, he was further away from getting a call up than, than closer to. But, you know, it's, it's, it's sport, it's cricket. Things have a funny way um, of working, working themselves out. Remember that cricket is a funny game. 100 years before we protected our heads, players looked after their groins. So don't be as stupid as old cricketers and protect your computer today. NordVPN is the protection I use when facing cyber shortfalls or when rights issues try to dismiss me. NordVPN will help you get through the straight bat of any geo blocks so you can watch all the cricket you want. If you need your pitch changed, well, NordVPN can doctor any surface to a new location so that your IP address is set up for you to win. Want to buy an associate cricket shirt from a place that won't ship to your country? Select NordVPN. Want to watch a game on a free stream in another hemisphere? NordVPN. Or if you just want to watch a clip on social media that a cricket board won't allow you to, promote NordVPN to pinch it for you. So if you need a VPN, go Nord. Use nordvpn.com forward slash Kimber to get a huge discount off your Nord VPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. The link is in the show notes. Protect your computer like a cricketer protects its nether region with NordVPN today. Well, I mean, the 17, 18 year, the reason I have that stat is I think every other young West Indian batting talent 
in the last decade probably would have got picked at that year. Yeah. Right. We've seen it again and again, you know, uh, that they don't do anything. They average 15, 16, 25, 28, 22. Suddenly they have a year where they make a couple of runs. They get picked for a West Indies and they're not ready. Mm. He, as you said, he, he's, you know, on the verge of getting dropped. 2019 makes no runs. 21, 22 makes no runs at all. Right. It's really, really interesting to me that I think most West Indian players would have been brought in and I don't think he was ready in 2017 and 2018 and he actually would have been absolutely annihilated. Yeah, I agree. And then I he would have had another situation. Yeah, and, I, and, I, and I'm not saying I wouldn't have picked him because I'm with you. I probably would have thought about picking him as well. I remember that year at, at, you know, as it happened. But the point is that accidentally by overlooking him for whatever stupid reason, whether they hated his dad or because of the whole always not wanting to pick Guyanese players or whatever it was, right? They actually probably allowed him to finally work out his cricket and maybe almost getting dropped by uh, Guyana was the, the thing that he needed more than anything else. Because in t the start of 2022, he scores uh, 300s in five games, mm. including two really good knocks against Bangladesh A. Yeah. So clearly by that stage, he is probably an international cricketer. And I would say, even if you looked at his record six months earlier, you'd be like, oh, don't pick him. He's nowhere near ready. Yeah, and I, and I agree with you on that. I mean, I'll still say that I probably would have picked him in 2017-18. And I agree with you that he probably would have struggled massively. But then what's quite interesting to me is this, Jared. Since he's made his debut, right? So at current, he's got the big double century scored in Zimbabwe. He got 50 in Australia, a couple 40s in Australia. He's not actually done too much else since. But here's an example no. of why the Tej conundrum is interesting. Tej's last test was the second test against India that West Indies drew, uh, the rain-affected one. Now, in his second innings, I think West Indies were chasing something like 400, and we were, I think we were like 90 for two by the time rain pulled the, the game off. But Tej reached 24 not out of 98 balls, right? At one point in that innings, he was something like, seven not out of 70-something balls. And I remember, the only reason I'm bringing this up is because I remember that the, the, who was on comms at the time? Curly Ambrose was on comms. I'm going to say either Bish or Gangor on comms, comms, and they were crucifying him. Curtly was saying, this isn't good enough. This is international cricket. You can't just be getting bogged down in international cricket. Send to the point you're making. Some, there's a ball with your name on it. This isn't, this isn't uh, moving the cricket forward. You've got to be more positive than this. But meanwhile, I was watching it thinking, thank God he's still there because mm. rain's coming. And if India get one, they're going to get six. Like, thank God this guy's still trying to block out the Indian attack and take this game as deep as he possibly can. And I think that's why, as much as I can say, okay, yes, Tej has developed from the, the 66 not out from 270 balls Tej what's five years ago he still i think that i still think that's his natural game i still think that his mm. his setup similar to cray is to say i'm seeing off the newborn like i'm i'm gonna earn my right to still be there after i know bat in 60 70 80 balls if i happen to only be on 12 at the time so be it so now my question to you jared is is there any place for someone like that in international cricket. But the disclaimer is, this is West Indies we're talking about. <laughs> well, 
I mean, in that situation, I don't think I saw that game because I think it clashed with the Ashes. So I don't think mm. I, I saw as much of it. as I saw the first test, which was in the gap. I think in that particular situation of what I remember of it and what you've said, that was a perfectly fine way of going about it. The pitch was dead, right? There wasn't a lot in it for the Indian bowlers at that point. As you said, there was rain coming. So you're in a situation where you can do that. He's not going to be able to do that in England in May, right? He's probably not going to be able to do that in Bangladesh, uh, you know, when, when the footmarks come in or Sri Lanka when the footmarks come in. And he might not be able to do that on a, on a Melbourne pitch that, you know, has a little bit more grass covering on it. Only because it's not that he doesn't have a great defense, but if, if that's all you're doing, that's when what Curly said and what I was talking about before comes back into it. But is there a possibility that he knew that there was potential for rain and he was just staying in? Like, if that's the case, doesn't that show a very mature mind? Because we have seen him bat slightly quicker than that before. We've seen him score at international level when he has to. Um, I mean, his international record's weird because he averages 40 um, as, as we sit here, right? Um, but that's with a not-out double century against Zimbabwe. Good innings against uh, Australia. Was it South Africa and India? He didn't make any runs at all, I want to say. Pretty Does that much, sound right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So it's patchy, right? We don't know how good he is. The one thing I would say is, if you look at his first 45 matches, he made 200s with an average of 28. And in his second 21 matches, he averaged 58 with 500s. That's not someone who can't score. Yes. Right? He's not... He's. Not, I suppose the best way of putting it is, if he was getting to the point of where maybe Dom Sibley got to, right? Where you can't do anything other than just take the lacquer off the ball, which means that when there are loose balls uh, delivered to you, there's not much that you can do where you're so stuck that you're of, of no use. Then you're almost waiting for a situation where you have to bat out a draw, right? And, and you know, the steam's gone out of the pitch a little bit. I don't think he's anywhere near that. I think he's probably a defensive player who occasionally goes to stonewall mode, which is slightly different, I think, than someone who is only stonewall um, and is only going to make his runs by, you know, nicking a couple through slips and maybe occasionally when you bowl on his pads. I don't think he is that kind of player. Does he go too defensive too often? Probably. Um, but also, he hasn't got years, he hasn't, he's got 10 years of professional cricket behind him, but he's probably only got two years of really believing in his game and being the kind of player that he thinks he can be. It's possible he doesn't know what the best version of himself is at the moment, right? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a really good point. Um, in the last two years, it's, it's, it should be noted that Tej has played quite a bit of minor league uh, cricket in the States. Um, and I, I think of an innings he played in, in, I can't remember if it was the Atlanta Open or the Houston Open, whichever one of those two. Um, and he scored a lightning uh, I want to say it was a century of however many balls in T20 cricket. Now, of course, somebody's going to say, come on, Mash, you're talking about minor league cricket in the United States. But the point is to more kind of emphasise the point that Jared's making, that this isn't a guy who just blocks and doesn't have anything else to his game whatsoever. He's played enough T20 innings to show that actually I can do something else. And actually, perversely, good for him because it's, it's virtually impossible to just be a Craig Brathwaite in the modern cricket, in the modern cricket calendar now. You can't just, you can't survive, well, you can, but you can't just survive on being a West Indies test cricketer. So you would think that mm. any cricketer coming up through the West Indian system has to develop some kind of shot selection and um, short format cricket um, version of shots because 
how else are you going to maximize your work? Now, I'm not saying that Tay Shanapal is going to turn out to be a, a, a white ball sensation. I, I highly doubt it. But, um, but I think it would be ridiculous to expect any West Indian cricketer to... And this is where I think your point is right, Jared. He possibly doesn't know yet what his game is. And he's possibly in that flux of trying to work out how do I maintain the core of what got me here, which is his defensive game, versus establishing a level of white ball prowess that might make me marketable elsewhere. Because somebody, um, weird because we're talking about Shannon but I just want to pivot to Shea Hope. It's notable to see that Shea Hope is suddenly now developing a significant acceleration in his white ball game, both old Mm. guys and in T20s. And to me, that speaks as... That speaks to somebody saying, how do I maximise my worth? I can't just survive on being a West Indies international cricketer. I don't have enough gains to just survive on that. So going back to Shandipal now, I think you're right, Jared, to say he's probably still trying to find his natural game, so, so so to speak. But before you come in there, I also want to just throw to you, should any international side be opening with Brathwaite and Shanderpool or can beggars not be choosers in this, in this situation? Thanks to the kind folks at FlexiSpot for looking after my office and my butt by sending me their E7 Pro desk that save your favorite desk heights at a touch of a button. You don't have to crank anything. This thing just finds the height that you like and you can work. And their BS12 Pro chair that supports my posterior while I'm recording, well, this ad and all my shows. If you need great desks, especially ones that change heights or the best quality chairs, head on over to FlexiSpot. Look, I think if you want to be a top-level test team, you probably need one opener who has the ability to score boundaries just to put pressure back on the mm. bowlers. You know, does that Crawley situation is an extreme version, but that's essentially what England are trying to do, right? Is, you know, there, there is a... If you do go through the greatest test teams of all time, mostly they have an attacking opener or at the very least an, an opener who can put pressure back on the opposition. So you would argue in that case that no, but as you would say... West Indies don't have any batters, so if they have two batters with a pulse, you know, put them there and 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 see how they go. I think that's more than fair in this situation. I, I want to know. I mean, we talk about him being this, obviously having this ability to be a stonewaller and be a very single-minded cricketer at times. Mm. But if you look at his family history, it's very rare that we know about a grandfather and a father, right? But Shiv becomes the player he does because the old man pings balls at his head on the, on the edge of the beach that were way too fast for him. He ends up with this stupid batting style, um, but incredible reflexes, right? And then Shiv becomes maybe my, one of the most single-minded players we have ever seen, you know, crabbing across the crease, dropping everything with soft hands on the offside, waiting for the exact ball that he wants to punch very gently for two, right? In the father and the grandfather, there is certainly that element it would be still, and, and both of those, I, I, I don't know if Shiv's father is still with us, actually. I don't, I don't think he is, I believe, but no, I believe he is. Um, there are certain, he is. So he might still have a say in what's happening w- with Tage then, right, as well. And he would definitely have a say. I'd be shocked if he's not saying anything after, you know, making his son to be so good. He's certainly going to have some words about his grandson. And then your dad is a legend, right? And a legend completely in his own way. Like almost, not an un-West Indian batter, but... 
you know, the old the old Calypso model that people used to talk about, right? They always forgot that there was about two or three dour West Indians in the middle order, quite a lot of that period as well. But even within that, Shiv was his own animal, right? Like he was his own version of that kind of player, you know, a Guyanese blocker in Excelsis at times, right? That's a lot of family stuff on top of you. And they would have had a huge say in how he plays, right? Is it really that weird that he would be a, a, a different kind of version of, of what his father was um, based on the fact that he literally was in the same first-class team as his dad and his dad is probably the reason that, you know, he developed the way that he did? Like, I'm not overly shocked, but his dad obviously had a lot more shots. And if he doesn't have that a- accessibility to him, although by the end, Shiv wasn't playing many shots, was he? So maybe he's almost the old dad. But you see what I'm saying? Sometimes these things, we don't have to overthink them, right? Like, he has not been trained in the way that most, in the way that Craig Brathwaite also. I've never seen a young player, let alone a young West Indian player, play the way that Brathwaite did. He's a man on his own. And in this case, Tage is a man that comes from a family that has found a method that works. Doesn't that just make sense? Or am I overanalyzing it no, just I, because they happen to share the same DNA? I think you're right. I think you're right. And I think the reason why people don't want to necessarily go down that line is because sometimes the most obvious answer is the correct answer. <laughs> is and and yeah, I think I, I think it's completely fair to say that we know that that Kemraj, um, Brandon, Brandon, sorry, Brandon is what everyone actually calls Tage, but we know that Kemraj is had a significant hand in in training Tage as well. So I mean, we neither yeah. one of us two knows Kemraj, but suffice to say, if I had trained Shivnaran Chandapur to be the second highest West Indian Test scorer of all time. I think I'm going to trust my method to also train my grandson to, mm. <laughs> to try and make the West Indies team as well. So I do think it's I think it's actually fair to say the most obvious thing here that the apple hasn't fallen too far from the tree, and it's probably no it's no coincidence whatsoever um, that 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 Tej's strongest element of his game is his durability at the crease. And yes, I want to see more shots. But even before we look at the shots, the point is he has a mindset that says, you're going to have to get me out here. You're going to have to try and find a way to prize me out. And yes, there's some issues around my scoring rate, but you're still going to have to try and find a way um, to prize me out. And I think that speaks to who has had an influence on his career. Because come on, how many West Indian batters can we say that about? that turn up with a single-minded approach that says you're gonna have to try and get rid of me before i give my wicket away so so yeah i think the obvious thing is correct here yeah i I just i just find it really interesting because maybe because of the way that shiv's career ended but i think we're misremembering how good he was to Mm. begin with and he's clearly more talented than tage like there's no there's no way you can watch the two of them and, and not think, you know, I remember Shiv as a young player, so accomplished, you know, the weird technique and everything, you could just see how skillful he was. And Tage isn't at that level, but he does have some of the best parts of his dad within his batting. Mm. And I think he's about to hit his prime. I'm hoping he's learning uh, the white ball story you told me. I didn't realize that he uh, been playing some of the minor league cricket. I obviously hadn't seen his name in that so far. So that is really, really interesting. But he's about to hit his prime. He's obviously a Red Bull specialist and, you know, he's going to continue to develop the way he is. My question to you is, if he has a Craig Brathwaite peak, right, 
that's a success for the West Indies. Yeah. Yeah. If he can average 32 to 35, that's magnificent. I think he's potentially better than that. And maybe he can get his average up to 38. You know, 40 would be the dream, but let's let's not sell him down, uh, down the river too much there. But I would say that if 38 is his peak, 32 should be the limit of where he goes. Um, you know, it, there's a long way to go before we, you know, before all that matters. But someone who averages between 32 and 38 in West Indies top order, surely that's someone you want to play for your team for the next six years. Or you want it to be that the only reason that he doesn't get to picked anymore is because everyone else is averaging more, which would be magnificent, but unlikely having seen the last 20 years. <laughs> Very unlikely. Here's a, here's a problem though. Let me throw a little spanner in the works here with, with your statement there, Jared. Please. Obviously, if he ends up averaging somewhere between 32 to 34, I'd bite your hand off for that. But if there's one thing that we have a knack of in, in the West Indies, it's dropping people for no particular reason. All right. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I say that to say, since that Australia-Zimbabwe tour, as you said earlier on, um, Tage had a bad time of it in South Africa, as lots of more established cricketers do. Um mm. He, Great bowling attack, yeah, too. friendly he, he, pitches. He struggled somewhat at home versus India. And his next series is Australia away again, right? So let's just say, granted he was good in Australia last time out, but come on, it was it was his first series in international cricket. As much as Australia are one of the top teams in the world, I'd venture to say they probably couldn't find much footage on Tage. So wouldn't have worked right. out his obvious weaknesses and so on and so forth, right? I would assume second time round, Tage going to Australia, they might know him a bit better now, right? So Australia's up next. And then after Australia, he goes to England. Now hear me out, Jared. Let's just say argument say, fails away in South Africa, struggles, doesn't fail, but struggles at home versus India, struggles away in Australia, then struggles away in England. This is West Indies cricket, Jared. They'll drop him after that and take mm. no consideration into the fact of who those four series were against. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, yes, they should invest in him. And the common sense thing to do is invest in him. But I'm not sure if West Indies cricket really operates like, <laughs> like that. So. It, it's a weird one, too, because, because he's not young. So if he was 23 or 24... If he was if he was Athenas, right? Yeah. Age, you probably say to yourself, we'll just give him two years, regardless, right? There isn't anyone better. We know that now. Right? Even if he struggles, we'll give him two years. We've now seen him against Australia and Zimbabwe. We believe we know enough. Bangladesh is another good example of him making runs. But because he's older and he's in that prime period, he can't really not make runs in at least one of those series. Right. Right. And it probably, as you would say, would need to be one of the first two. Now, maybe conditions in Australia uh, favor him. I can't see how they would ever favor anyone from Guyana, being that the ball's never bounced above ankle height over there. Um, but, you know, for whatever reason, maybe they do. Maybe it suits the way he plays. Um, playing late, playing, you know, uh, the way that he does might also be something that could work in England. Um, and maybe he gets maybe he gets a year with bad Duke's balls or or England, you know, Jimmy Anderson retires and the, the next bowlers aren't aren't as good or, or whatever situation happens there. Um, but yeah, no, I get your point, and, and I think that's the issue is because he's just that little bit older. You're probably because if you give him two years, right, and his average at the end of that is eighteen, 
even if he's going to come back and get it back up to 32, he's going to be 28, 29, and then he's just another West Indian player who didn't do it at test level, right? It's it's a very fair, well, it's, it's a complicated thing because I just, you and I have watched so many of these guys where you watch them in test cricket and you're like, this is not a test cricket. This guy should not be out there, mm. right? He is definitely not one of those, yeah. right? And so you want to make allowances for the fact that, like I said, I could see him averaging a high 30s. That, uh, there's everything within his game tells me he has the ability to do that. But he could be dropped 93 times uh, on the way to that kind of a mark just because if, A, no one else is making any runs, he will have bad series. And he's not the finished piece yet. I mean, he's clearly, you know, if you compare his development to his father, he just hasn't developed in the same pace. Can, can I, I just want to throw, before we wrap this, I just want to throw one little... Um, left field comment to you, um, Jared. So everyone always talks about, well, West Indies, we've missed out since our players don't really get um, uh, county deals anymore. I mean, the two we've got right now are, are probably our two most experienced players. Uh, Kimar's at Surrey and Craig is at Warwickshire. But I've often said that where some of our players go wrong is that whether it's their agents or whether it's them, I don't know. But do you think there is anything to be gained for some of our players going to play grade cricket in Australia, or, or I wouldn't say I wouldn't say shield cricket because they wouldn't get in the teams. But is there any benefit for them going to play like some kind of cricket in Australia or such places? Yeah, I mean, there's two places to go, right? There's league cricket in England. Um, there's grade cricket in Australia. Um, you can play a little bit in South Africa and New Zealand as well, if, if you're willing to, to try those things. I think you and I both agree that West Indian cricketers aren't being developed the way that they used to. I think part of it is the wickets. I think peak West Indies talent, the wickets were all so diverse mm. and that from game to game, it would be one wicket would rag sideways, the next one would keep low, the next one would bounce over your head, there'd be a little bit of sieve movement, there'd be all these different things that you would play. And the West Indies wickets don't quite feel that d diversity anymore that they once had. So what's a way around that? Well, club cricket in, in Australia, league cricket in England also will shore up your technique if you're an opening batter, mm. right? If you go up to one of the stronger leagues, you know, Staffordshire, uh, Lancashire leagues, those sorts of places, I think the reason that cricketers don't do it as much is there just isn't the money in it. Right. But the players, it's funny, I was talking about a player uh, to a player the other day who went and played club cricket in Australia. And I said, what did you get paid? And he said, no, no, I wasn't paid. And I went, what? And he said, no, no, I was, it was my off season. I knew I wasn't going to be playing in any representative cricket. I said to them, I'm available. They paid my ticket. They got me accommodation. Um, obviously, I didn't have to pay match fees or anything like that. But I didn't get paid while I was out there. If you're willing to do that, you can improve your game, right? And I think for a lot of West Indian cricketers, that would be tough yeah. to have maybe six months where you're not getting paid. League cricket's a little bit different. There's a little bit of money in the league cricket, but if you're playing in Australia or New Zealand, most of those clubs probably are not going to pay you or it's not not going to be that much. Whereas you and I both know, and well, you've already talked about it, Tage can go and play minor league cricket and probably make 10 or 20 grand um, over a few months playing uh, um, over there. But it's not the same as playing cricket in Sydney. It's not the same as playing cricket in Auckland. It's not the same as playing cricket in Staffordshire or Lancashire or, or you know, um, South Africa or any of these other places. But this all comes back to the biggest problem, which West Indies cricket has always had. Every, every decision that West Indian crickets make is from a position of, um, uh, you know, a negative position, right? 
So you have to go and do that thing because you're not looked after at home. Whereas the cricketer I was talking to was a county cricketer and he knew that he was going to get a contract the next year. And he was like, well, if I spend six months in Australia, maybe I can work on some things and I'll come back and I'll be, uh, you know, slightly better bowler, um, you know, different conditions and everything out can work on my game. And um, I've still got a job. It's just not the same with the West yeah. Indian cricketers. Yeah. And maybe that's part of the reason we don't see it as much. I don't know. Also, I would say this. I don't know many West Indians who are agents that get... So almost every Australian cricketer I've ever met at one stage or another has got other Australian cricketers over to play in uh, club cricket in England, right? And the same thing happens with England cricketers and everything else. There's all these like low-level agents that... You and I would never need to come across, but these guys, that's what they do, right? They find players for English clubs. They find players for Australian clubs. They do all these little deals that, you know, they get some kickbacks. I've never heard of West Indian cricketers doing that. I'm not saying there aren't any because I'm sure there are some, um, but it doesn't seem to be the same kind of thing. And you need that infrastructure there because, you know, who's Tage going to call, right? You know, you either, and he's more plugged in than most West Indian players, but who's he going to call? So I do think that is a part of it. Anyway, I've now gone on too far and you probably want to go to bed. <laughs> well, suffice to say, all I will say in response to all of that is, and that's how you end up with a situation where every player has to learn on the job. And that is ultimately how Taze will be judged. He's going to have to just learn this on the job and time will tell. Yeah, and, and as we've seen in Test Cricket, that usually doesn't work. But thank you very much for coming on the podcast. <laughs> no problem. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon, where there are also many other extras as well, including a Discord channel where you can chat to me directly. There is a link to the Patreon in the show notes. We are an independent podcast, so support us any way you can maybe give us a review subscribe or share on social media all of these things help us and when it comes to podcasts word of mouth is always the best way of making it grow if we had a guest on chances are their socials are in the show notes please support everyone who comes on this show i am jared kimber and this is my network but we also have hosts and co-hosts like Baron Kazi and Estelle Vassadavan. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston and each episode is produced by Ishit Kaburka at Sound Potion Studio. Mukunda Bandredi, or Muku as most people will know, is the head of our YouTube channels and he also helps out with so many other things like the podcast recordings. And there's so many other people we could thank here, but I just want to thank all the listeners and all the people who help behind the scenes that make this podcast work. If you are a podcaster who happens to waffle on and you need a way to cut down your long-form content, Memento FM is here to save the day. They turn your lengthy media into bite-sized chunks for even the most time-starved audience. Start using Memento FM today.